From Walking in Grace, this is the Straight Truth Podcast, Christian truths in an increasingly secular world. Welcome again to the Straight Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Philpot. Now, today's episode is part of a special series of interviews on the topic of spiritual discernment, which is the theme of our annual Truth and Love Conference at Founders Baptist Church. For today's episode, Dr. Richard Caldwell sits down with Dr. Jerry Ragg to discuss this important topic. Now, be sure to like this video or leave your comment below and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Now, let's listen as Dr. Caldwell and Dr. Ragg discuss this important topic. Now, I know uh, I've had this experience, I know you have. Uh, within our own churches, there are various opinions about the issues of the day, right? Mm. Uh, even when it comes to theological issues and doctrinal matters and discussions, uh, sometimes you'll have some differences uh, in, in a local church on, on uh, uh, issues that are not at the very core of the Christian faith. So we would say peripheral issues perhaps, uh, not unimportant issues, but not at the core, uh, you know, not first tier issues of doctrine. How do you deal with that as a pastor? How do you help your people, when we, th- we think about discernment, how do you think how do you help them think about the unity of the church, having a like-mindedness? How do they how do they work through those differences of opinion and viewpoint? And how do you guys, as elders, uh, try to uh, foster that? How do you try to encourage that? That is really a, an important issue in our day now, but important anyway because mm. there are passages that give us clear instruction. This was a problem and was going to be a struggle for God's people to maintain unity all through the life of his people. What I've tried to do, Richard, honestly, is help them, first of all, uh, remember that the scriptures tell us what the mandates are. Everything outside of how scripture expresses clear truth is going to get grayer and grayer. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of have thought about that issue in this way. Truth from Scripture that is mandatory, that is what we might say the black and whites of right. Scripture, uh, mandates from God's Word. These are either explicitly spoken in Scripture. They are either implicitly given in Scripture. They are either inferred from one explicit or implicit statement, and therefore it infers this, mm. or they're illustrated by the history of God's people, and we have the narrative that tells us it. That's how mandates from Scripture are given, and those are non-negotiable, and we ought to try to bring unanimity and agreement on all those things, from elders to to whatever. Everything outside of that, you have, I would say, a middle category of wisdom principles where you might not be dealing with a black and white mandate, but you will be dealing with ways to look at the matter that could threaten someone's sanctification or build up someone's sanctification, similar to what Paul said about Christian liberties, for example, when he said all things might be lawful. So I'm not violating a biblical mandate, but they might not be wise. They might not be expedient for the sake of the biblical mandate of gospel advance. Mm-hmm. So there's a middle category where you may, you may be dealing with a gray matter, a matter of conscience or preference, over which two Christians would disagree, but they don't have to disagree so starkly and be so different as to not talk about 
well, is this the wisest course of action? Can you for give a just a few examples, a couple of examples of, of these kinds of issues? Yeah, well, I mean, entertainments, for example. People yeah. make different decisions with regard to how much uh, of the entertainments that we enjoy um, they want to enjoy. And of course, um, you have to think about the wise principles because you have your conscience to deal with. That's primary. You never want to violate your conscience. You also do not want to enslave someone else by encouraging them to trample some uncomfortable way their conscience is reacting. Romans 14 is very clear about mm -hmm. that. Love would never do that. So love has to govern in those matters. Even if in the end you might make different decisions about uh, what you put in front of your eyes or what your steady diet is or where you spend your money on vacation or how, what kind of car you drive or <clears throat> even health choices. Health is another huge and very volatile gray area or matter of preference. Masking right now. I mean, we think about the, the coronavirus. Is a, yeah, is a huge issue. Or, or even just vaccination itself. Exactly. That, that is coming once again, as it has often reared its head. And, and I've asked our people to remember that if the Bible is not mandating something in those categories I mentioned, then it is gray. It, we might put it into the category not of complete gray, where you don't even have to talk about it, mm -hmm. but it might be in a category of where are we making the wisest, most expedient decision, even if it's lawful, even if we're free, um, then in discussing it, Romans 14 says two things that govern this middle section. The lordship of Christ rules. If you end up different than somebody else, they stand or fall by the Lord and he's able to make them stand. Yes. So no judgment either way as to whether that person's more or less spiritual. Mm. Secondly, love should prevail. So if you do have uh, a greater freedom and less narrowness in one of those decisions than someone else, you are never to condescend nor be reckless. Mm. You're always to be thoughtful. In fact, chapter 15 of Romans warns that it is the stronger conscience that's always going to be careful not to flaunt or be reckless in front of a weaker conscience. So all the strong conscience people always tell me, well, they have a weaker conscience. I'm saying, exactly. So read chapter 15. Mm -hmm. Your love is going to be expressed in, in even welcoming them much more because you have a stronger mm -hmm. conscience. Kind of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians when he said, I'm all things to all men. And right. in order to advance the gospel, I'll, I'll change what, I'll give up whatever. It doesn't matter. And he had a strong conscience. Mm. On the other hand, the, the more narrow, sort of limited person in that middle section who's saying, ah, it's not wise for me, um, they are never to look with judgment upon someone who's more free and say, well, uh, you're less spiritual for what you did or, or whatever. So that's kind of how we've helped, tried to help them. First, you decide whether it's mandated mm. in those areas of explicit truth or implicit truth. If it's not, uh, you don't want to swing it all the way over here and say it doesn't matter that we shouldn't discuss it because matters like vaccination, these are, these are emotionally charged issues. Right, and right, health right. is an emotionally charged issue and parents and children. So we, we probably ought to slide some of those things into the middle category and talk about whether they're wise or expedient based upon wisdom principles and our own conscience and love and Christ's lordship. And then, then I think we gain more unity. And it's going to be a matter for personal sanctification because it's our very nature to feel strongly about all of those issues. Absolutely. And so, and speak strongly. And about speak them. strongly about them. And so, you know, I just want to say to those watching, I mean, it may be that one of the ways the Lord is developing you is 
is that you meet with someone who doesn't share your view of that. And even though you feel very strongly that you're correct and you wish everyone else saw it the way that you do, it's a good thing for us sometimes to, to meet with someone who doesn't see it that way because then we have to learn. To you mean we love to life. gather people around us who <laughs> agree with us? I think we do. Um, <laughs> practically speaking, how would you, taking into account the things we've already talked about, the importance of the local church and sound biblical preaching and all the rest, give sort of a practical step-by-step for someone who would say, I want to be more discerning. I don't want to be spiritually naive. I want to be mature in Christ. I want to grow up to see things the way that I should so that I can set my approval on that which God approves of and reject that which God would have me to reject. Jerry, how, how would you encourage someone to do that? How do you grow in discernment? Well, again, at least the passage I mentioned before gives language like senses trained by practice. Mm-hmm. So we know it's going to involve discipline. But what kind of discipline are we talking about? Well, I find that the most undiscerning people are often the most vocal, but never biblically specific or rarely specific. In other words, if you try to open the scriptures with someone who's really vocal, but but you sense they're in the weeds quite often on issues, um, then it's probably it's likely because when the Bible says hide his word in your heart and you might not that you might not sin against him, they're not hiding his word in their heart. They don't know enough of the truth specifically. So for example, I when I raised my kids, I, I just said to them all the time, look, if you're going to spout off, <laughs> if you're going to speak boldly about something, I'm going to put it to you. Where is that in God's word? Where? I'm not talking about learning the verses and the... I'm talking about where in God's revelation can you go where you have a worn path in that text that draws that principle out by which you live and now you practice it and it's become your conviction. Because if you're not in that process, then discernment's not going to develop because the Spirit renews the mind by His Word as you lay your life down and die to self, right? Romans mm-hmm. 12, 1. And you're not conformed to the world. So you're filtering out, kind of like the Proverbs 1, Solomon warns about the naive person isn't filtering anything out. Mm-hmm. You're not to be naive. So if you're not going to be naive, then you're going to have to lay your life down to know what the will of God is, that which is perfect and acceptable, and not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look, if the Spirit of God, just the analogy of handlebars, He wants to direct your life and control your motives, James 4 says, but if you don't put the Scripture in, He's not going to zap you with discernment in the moment. I mean, He's merciful, and He's gracious, and convictions from years ago can sometimes come powerfully up into your mind when, when the moment is needful. That's a wonderful mercy from God. But if you neglect his words, Psalm 119, 98 to 104 just clearly says it. When the psalmist said, how I love your law, it's my meditation night and day. And by it, I'm wiser than my teachers because I have meditated on your precepts. If you don't give the Holy Spirit handles to direct your life, you're going to be in the weeds. And the way to give him handles is to saturate your mind, humbly submit to what you're learning, and that renewal process then builds discernment. You, you won't even know it's happening 
until you're confronted with an issue to discern and the clarity will be there. That's really good. And when you think about the Ephesians 4 passage that the mature manhood is conformity to the image of Jesus. And then you think about, which is really the, the, uh, the end of sanctification, the goal, the aim of sanctification. And then you think about how our Lord prayed for us in John 17 to be sanctified. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so that goes right with what you're saying. The Spirit of God at work conforming us to the image of His Son, of God's Son. But what, what are the handlebars that we have to take hold of in order to get there? And the, the Bible is pretty specific. The Word of God, yeah. On so many issues, is right. it not? So what people deal in generalities, they can't build discernment. I just suggest to them, where is it? Look, I'm not expecting you to always be right in where you go or... I apply scriptures in a wrong way at times, and I have to see context differently. Sure. I'm, my progress in my understanding of scripture grows over time. But the promise of the Spirit is that that will happen if you'll humbly submit to it. So you, you gain the knowledge of it by exposure. You ponder it from every angle. Mm. That's the meditation aspect. You put it up against the issue you're facing and drive those principles through the issue, and then you humbly believe it. Yes. That faith practice right there is where discernment comes from. And coming to the Word of God submissively so that your, your genuine motive is whatever in my thinking, whatever in my choices, whatever in my motives, etc., doesn't represent the truth. I want to see it. I want to see it. I want so to know you're, it. you're suggesting brutal honesty. It's brutal honesty. And, and you can't do that in isolation. The Ephesians 4 plan, right, involves the entire body of Christ. Yes. And even what you described, the humility to see where I'm not seeing it right, sometimes that awareness comes as a result of iron sharpening iron and coming in contact with someone else who, who sees it more clearly than we do. I often think about Apollos and the kind of humility that had to be present in that man's life. Here's a man mighty in the Word of God, mighty in the Scriptures, and yet you have a husband, husband and wife sitting down with him and saying, you don't have this part exactly right. What humility had to be present in that man's life to benefit from that kind of So he was really trying to build discernment. Right. Because what you mentioned earlier, people that are a part of discernment ministries, you mentioned motive. Sometimes the motive for being a discerner is to be able to dominate people and take them down. Right. Well, you're not growing in discernment. You're just growing in pride and nurturing a kind of a, a use of the scriptures to manipulate people. Well, you, you always will end up in error when you do that because mm -hmm. the Lord opposes proud hearts. Now, you um, are the president of the Expositor Seminary. We've talked about the primacy of the local church when it comes to the matter of discernment. Let's talk about seminaries for a moment. Let's talk about this sad tendency over time for seminaries to drift, to drift theologically, to drift sometimes even morally uh, in terms of, of the moral positions that they're willing to accept or reject, uh, <clears throat> more and more reflecting the culture over time, sadly. Um, why do you think it is that seminaries tend to drift over time? Why do you think that pattern emerges? And when we think about seminaries uh, their task, at least professed task, being that of training future pastors in many cases. What is the best way to train future pastors? We think about seminaries. We send our men off in many cases to a seminary. Seminaries drift. 
So how do we protect the next generation of pastors from, from that? What, what can we affirm in the seminary system, et cetera? So talk about that for just a little bit. Uh, that's, a, that's a great way to frame it up. Sometimes I want to talk to the local church first mm. and say that if you're going to uh, you're going to help seminaries, whether they come into the local church or not, whether theological education is under local ministry or it's an independent uh, dynamic, what are we doing as local churches to handle the Word of God in such a way that pastors in training can't resist the pulpit and its ministry? I don't mean just preaching, but actual shepherding life. Mm. If you're going to train pastors, they should be more attracted to local church training. They should be attracted to that pastor and those elders and how they shepherd and how they handle God's Word and their family life and their character than they would be a professor in a seminary. Mm. It doesn't say anything necessarily about whether that professor is godly or not. It's simply to say that sometimes the attraction to seminaries and therefore a drift away from the local church is because local ministries are led by elders that have neglected shepherding. They do not uh, handle God's Word in a very careful way or an authoritative way, or uh, they're not bringing clarity and transcendence to the body of Christ yeah. from God's Word. That's so good, Jerry. I, I can't <clears throat> tell you how many times I've heard the story. A young man goes off to seminary, and his story is, that was really the first time I, I ever studied the Bible seriously. I mean, what a tragic commentary that is on what's going on in local churches. Absolutely. So I think I would like to say first that seminaries probably wouldn't drift as much if the church had a stronger voice. Doesn't mean they wouldn't drift. There are reasons for that. I'll mention in just a second. But I do believe that local churches needed to get more serious about what it means to be what they're called to be. We are the pillar and support, support. of the truth the household of God. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about just the invisible church, but the local expression of it, mm -hmm. which is where the accountability comes. Speaking of accountability, you move over to the seminary side and your question about drift. I believe it's largely because seminaries will only be as faithful to the doctrines given to us once for all by the apostles as they are faithful to the church. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, seminaries bring men for theological training who believe their intellect to be above the local church, pastors and elders. They believe that their skill in whatever their academic discipline uh, does not have to be subject to elders and pastors of a church who, who they view sometimes more like chaplains and, mm -hmm. you know, a hospital visitation guy and pastoral care person and a, a, a guy who preaches to the people about encouraging things, but he doesn't really deal with serious doctrinal things like I do. That kind of leadership in a seminary breeds that kind of faculty, and, uh, and so the environment becomes separated from accountability. Uh, that's a mistake. Uh, why that happens, you could say in some men, it's they, they grew up with whatever kind of aspiration to be that, and the intellectual pride took over, and they want to be impressive among their colleagues. And after all, you don't really get any notoriety in your theological academic career if you don't write something unique and, and it's printed somewhere and it becomes everybody's textbook. I mean, this is mm. kind of what you are tempted by in that arena. Other, other men probably go into it genuine. they genuinely. They just want to teach. 
students in an institution and bring great things to that to that student body but when you get into the system the administration how they allow doctrinal things to happen among tenured faculty nobody's saying anything definitive because they start to fear man they don't want to be viewed as uh they don't want to be viewed as countrified i'll just say for lack sure, of a better sure. term rather mom and pop they don't want to be viewed as theologically naive sometimes the worst thing you could be accused of in a seminary is is being anti-intellectual right. because you're so pastoral you're no academic theological good this is a mistake and so they drift because they are filled with leaders who drift from the local church i'm convinced and of course if the local church is strong sometimes that's an offense to an institutional seminary if the local church is weak they're glad to attend but they often have this air about them that they're superior to the to the pastor and the Lord did not promise to bless any institution on earth besides the church. That's a very important point. Seminaries are parachurch. Yeah. And insofar as they come alongside and even their leadership under the church, it will strengthen and be helpful. Uh, maybe even super useful if the church doesn't have anyone that can take on some of the more academic disciplines mm -hmm. for pastoral ministry like languages or anything like that. But, but it's only as strong as those leaders will come under the local ministry. Yeah, and the best seminary professors that I've known, and, and I've known some, and what a sweet blessing they are, these are men who, who would live and die for the local church. They are local church um, uh, devotees in the sense that they, they bleed the local church. They love the sheep. They love the sheep. Those, those men are unique, and they're, they're such a great blessing. What we pray for are seminary presidents who have that same viewpoint so that whether it's with their faculty or with their student body, they're continually pointing them to the, the primacy and the necessity of the local church. Now, some have felt that's not possible then to have that disposition and remain a robust theological education. Uh, of course, we haven't gone back far enough in history to find out that's mm -hmm. simply not true. The first seminaries were local church-based seminaries and pastors taught them. Uh, we've gotten away from that for size, for pragmatism, for you know, the wider parachurch emphasis that can be helpful with a seminary, but that's sort of become a bastion of its own, I, I believe, to the detriment of the strength of pastoral training. Uh, so you're right, I, I think some men have thought it's not possible, but I think we need to pioneer mm -hmm. uh, what seminaries used to be, and that was mentoring and residency and pastoral ministry and the sheep, handling God's word, theological, theologians really, pastors who are theologians and theologians who shepherd the sheep and they don't develop their theology in a vacuum. And the character of the man, not just his knowledge, right? The, the man's or life. Or his credentials. Or his credentials, exactly. Which seems to be, I think, a, a, a obviously a growing problem. All right, last question for you. Think, if you would, take just a few minutes to talk about um, what you see as some of the, the most dangerous issues uh, facing the church right now, when we think about discernment, that has to do with recognizing dangerous errors. What are some of the most dangerous things facing the church right now from your vantage point as a pastor? And um, what, do you, wh what do you think it's going to lead to? What are some of the issues that you see on the horizon that the church had better be preparing for? That's, that's just tremendous and maybe a great way to finish. Well, the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. And it's clear to me now as the church and denominations 
and Christians have rolled over on doctrines that are not unclear in Scripture, marriage and its definition, homosexuality, sexual deviancy, uh, the, the body of Christ being one, and social justice and critical theory, reparations, and all those kinds of ideologies. These are godless ideologies. They were invented by radical feminists and, and a couple of mentors of those radical feminists leading all the way back to the 70s and 80s and 90s. Critical race theory took on new uh, vision in the 80s. In the 90s, it became this intersectionality. The church is capitulating on these things and rolling over. What does that tell us? That tells us that we are, as an evangelical movement, afraid of being marginalized. I remember for years, Richard, in the pragmatic movement, their excuse was when they would speak to men like you and say, why are you coming against the bigness and the advance of the gospel that's happening in the church growth era? Uh, you would say, well, it's because you're in error. You're getting outside of the bounds of Scripture. Their answer, their classic answer was you're losing your voice mm. in the culture. And, and our answer was always the same. I don't have a voice. God has a voice. Amen. You've lost God's voice. I'll be glad to lose my voice, but I don't want to lose God's voice. Well, now you're seeing the, that seed come to, to root and now produce a crop. That crop is a fear of man. We are unwilling to take a stand and lose reputation and family members, our jobs, our careers, our reputation among our colleagues, other Christians who might be uh, capitulating. We're not willing to take a stand. And that's the snare the Bible spoke about with regard to fear of man. So to me, that's a, a massive issue. Yes. Then you take on top of that decades of insipid teaching. Mm. So the doctrinal confusion is a bit shocking, isn't it? Yes. Fundamental doctrines that denominations and seminaries have held dear. Self-evident things. Self-evident things, yeah. clear things. They're not even obscure passages. There are multiple places in Scripture where they're taught. And to not believe them threatens the soul. I mean, it takes me back to what was happening in the inspiration debates, you know. We're now seeing that debate come to the forefront because the same problem has occurred. You have, you have the church reeling because they, they don't have clarity from pulpits. And then leaders are not standing. I think another problem has been we've had a couple of decades of conference inundation and conference inundation where men have been found to be undiscerning and they're not admitting it. It's not helpful to the next generation to have to have very well-known leaders on a public evangelical stage come to realize that they endorsed someone they shouldn't endorse, mm. that sold books that they shouldn't have sold, that put their, their signature on something they shouldn't have put their signature on. And when, when all of that spins into the headlines, they're nowhere to be found. That hasn't helped evangelicalism. Mm. So there's a level of pride about our lack of discernment and the very thing you said, iron sharpening iron can't happen right. if we're not willing to let it sharpen. Right. And our leaders are sometimes not willing to let us sharpen, let those things sharpen us. So I think we have a serious fear of man problem combined with a 
decades of insipid teaching, the, the sheep are confused, they want answers, and leaders are sometimes holding stubbornly to things for fear of admitting that they've blown it and losing their respect or whatever it is they're after. This is a mistake. Mm. True repentance and a desire to know God's Word so that He is honored uh, has no problem realizing we can be wrong, mm. has no problem that we might have gone down the road teaching emphatically something that later we have greater clarity on or some brothers corrected us on. And on the other end of the spectrum, Jerry, what you're talking about, fear of man, also leads to men sometimes uh, with a false humility counting truth to be error because they're afraid of the cost of standing where they've always stood. Yes. So instead of, you know, on the one end of the spectrum, not willing to admit where I've been wrong, on the other end of the spectrum, no longer willing to, to stand for where admit right. that we've been right, <laughs> right? To, to, to say the Bible is true. Uh, so you get it on both ends of the spectrum. You do. Sometimes we need to go back to Paul's words when he ended his life. All in Asia have forsaken me. <laughs> But I'm I'm standing. Yeah, I've fought yeah. the good fight. I've kept the faith. I think we're we're sometimes finding that we're more willing to have close comrades and friends that have gone down that road. We're willing to fellowship with them more than we are willing to stand alone. Which means our conviction is shaky. Mm -hmm. Maybe our conviction was built on too much groupthink and not enough just Bible. Our own convictions yeah. in the Scripture. Yeah. Well, it's been a joy. Uh, thank you for taking thank you the time for to do this. Me. Thankful for you and uh, for your ministry and, and love you very much. And I give God thanks for you. Likewise, brother. Grateful for you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Straight Truth Podcast. Now, we'd love to have you share this episode with friends and family. And the easiest way to do that is by going to our website, straighttruth.net, and subscribing to one of our social media channels like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, Straight Truth is listener-supported, so if you'd like to find out ways to help us to continue to produce this podcast, again, go to our website, straighttruth.net. Now, Straight Truth is a production of Walking in Grace Ministries, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Richard Caldwell. For more information, go to Walking in Grace.